All right. And then uh, I just want to say thank you for just your faithfulness over the last, well, as long as I've been here, but way more than that. Many of you have been a part of this community of faith for some time, and, and, and we're able to do what we're doing because of your involvement and your investment. And that's time, and that's energy, and that's resources. So thank you for your faithfulness there. Um, if that's not a part of your story, I just, I tend, my heart tends to go towards things that I invest in. Uh, and that's time and energy and, and money. And so it's a discipleship thing for us. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about that today, but um, thank you. Grab your Bible, Colossians chapter 2. If you're just joining us, we started a series last week. It's a four-week series in this book of Colossians. We're doing one chapter at a time. We went through the whole book of chapter 1. Um, obviously, there's or the, whole, the whole part of chapter 1. There's a lot in there. If you've ever read Colossians, we could do like a 40-week series on Colossians. Um, here's my encouragement. If, if you're hungry for more in Colossians, guess what? Read Colossians on your own time. <laughs> Get into a group, study it more. Uh, I encourage you to do that. There's so much to glean from this. Uh, it, it, this was a, a baby church in the faith, not even 50 years old, and Paul from prison hears about the amazing work that God is doing amongst this community of faith. And then he also hears some things that are concerning. And so he writes this letter to kind of help coach them and train them. And the main idea that we walked out of chapter one with was elevate Jesus in your life. Paul does this in all his letters. He elevates Jesus. He lifts up Jesus, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished, what Jesus is continually doing. And there's so many things that we can elevate and prioritize in our life. Isn't that true? So many things that we can give our attention to. Our fears and our uncertainties, our failures, our struggles, uh, our hopes, our desires. We can focus on our strengths and our success. And, and Paul's writing to a church, this is the same. There are people back then too. And all of these things were true. And, and Paul says, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. Get your eyes on Jesus. Elevate him in your life. Prioritize him. And sometimes we just need a reminder today uh, that Jesus is the way. He, he is the truth. He's the one that, that gives us life. Staying connecting to him. The John 15 passage, abiding in Jesus is where life comes from. Staying close to Jesus. He's the one that's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the perfecter. He's the one who sustains us, who gives us life. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And we could go on and on and on about who he is because he's amazing. Uh, but to a church that was getting distracted... By other pursuits, Paul magnified Jesus and he reminded them of their identity in Christ, who they were, that they were once hostile and evil, and now they were a redeemed people, that they were once alienated and, and separated, and now they were new creations, that they were, they were a broken people and now they were being restored in Christ. So he's helping remind them, this is what, who you are as a, as a Jesus follower. Again, we need these truths today. As we begin chapter 2, we're going to see kind of what motivates Paul to write. So let's start reading uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Here's what it says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So even though Paul had not met 
this church. Again, we talked about this last week. He didn't actually plant this church. This church was probably planted out of Ephesus. He, he may knew, have known some of the people in this church, but most of them, he didn't know who they were. But he loved them and he struggled for them because he, he cared about their development as they walked with Jesus and learned how to, to be Jesus' followers. And he describes his great struggle for the church. And here's what he says. He says, first, he says that your hearts may be encouraged. Your translation in your, in your scripture might say comforted. Um, th- think about uh, the people that you get around, or family members, maybe not family members, people that you get around that when you're with them, you just feel seen and loved and supported and you just know they're for you. You know that feeling? This is what Paul's talking about, that your hearts would be in, encouraged. And then he, he builds on this and he says, being knit together in love. I love that picture. My, my wife, Katie, she picked up knitting a while back. And uh, the, the picture is of, of being unified and working together. Think about knitting. It's, it's being close together, working together to create something beautiful. Paul says, I, I hope that you're comforted, and I, and I hope that there is a work that's happening, that you're being knit together in love. He yearns for that, for the church. He continues to build on encouragement and unity. He has a full assurance of understanding or a confidence and a knowledge that's unshakable. What, what did he want their confidence in? Big surprise. Jesus. <laughs> he always points there. He knew full well that unity and love and encouragement would be found when Jesus was the foundation of the community. So he builds on those things. Starts with the foundation and he works his way up and, and he, pr- he prays and he yearns for all these things to be true. And he says, all treasure and wisdom and knowledge are found in who? Jesus. And Jesus. But Paul... He's no dummy. <laughs> he knows that, that the people will be constantly bombarded with all kinds of other options. It's true for us. There are many other things that we could focus our attention on, many other things that we can bind ourselves to. And so listen to what he says next, verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul's Paul's concern, again, was that the people would get pulled into something that looked really good, but wasn't of Jesus. The the term for plausible is pathanologia, which means a speech that is adapted to persuade persuasive speech, or a type of discourse that's meant to lead people somewhere. This is the word that he uses. And so there were people in the early church who were incredibly gifted with words, with language. They were persuasive with their language. And they were using their gift to lead people into a lifestyle that didn't look like Jesus, that didn't act like Jesus, didn't operate like Jesus. They were, they were actually building uh, their own religion, really. This is what happens when we, when we tend to think we can help God out with a faith story, right? We're like, God, you did great, but we'll take it from here. Thanks for all you did. 
but we got it. We're going to construct something that's going to help you out. It's going to help people out. You can just sit down for a minute. This is what we do. We build these man-made religions and rules and regulations, and the problem is they don't lead people into the fullness of life with Christ. They lead people into bondage and suffering and oppression. Uh, A modern-day example of this uh, would be the prosperity gospel. Okay? I've listened to communicators and teachers, incredibly good communicators and teachers, very persuasive, say things like, God wants you to be blessed. Now, is that true? Yeah, that's good. God wants you to be, to be blessed. When you give to the church, blessing is going to be poured out on you tenfold and a hundredfold. Now, who doesn't love that idea? <laughs> like, if you're an investment person, I mean, that's, better invest, that's a better investment than you're going to get in the market for most things. Like, if I just give here, I'm going to get 10, 100 fold back? This is a problem. These communicators, they tend to love Malachi chapter 3, if you're familiar with this passage. Um, it talks about bringing the full tithe into the storehouse, right? You may be familiar. If not, you can go look it up in Malachi. And when you do, uh, when you bring your full tithe, God is going to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on you. This is beautiful. And, and our God, trust me, I, I am not against God wanting to bless people. He, that's who he is. But this text, the problem is the prophet Malachi was rebuking a heart issue in the people. The reason that, that we have this text is because their hearts were not surrendered to the Lord And that's why they were not following through on giving their tithes. It was a heart issue. And the rebuke was meant to not make the people grow rich. It was meant to get their hearts back in alignment with the way of God. See the difference? So we can pull that text out and go, hundredfold to you, my friend. Just buy this seat right here. You can sit right there if you give extra, right? You see this kind of garbage in communities of faith. It's sad. Can lead us astray. This is an example. I'm trying to give an example of how this plays out in our modern day. Jesus is always concerned about the posture of the heart. Always. And and that's exactly what concerns Paul when he writes to the churches. He was concerned that their hearts were being enticed and led astray and not surrendered and aligned with the way of Jesus. Instead of getting caught up in persuasive speech, here's what Paul says to do. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ." Paul, again, reminds us, the model is Jesus. We are saved by Jesus. These these fellow believers in Colossae were saved by Jesus, and now they're called to follow the lead of Jesus. And so anything that comes along that doesn't look like, smell like, speak like, serve like, sacrifice like Jesus, you say, no thanks, that's not for me, I'm a Jesus follower. That's what he's trying to help them do. That's what we're trying to do. 
if it doesn't look like Jesus, I had a great small group that, on Tuesday morning and we were talking about this, like how easy it is to make it not about following Jesus and make it about other things and how easy it is to be led astray, right? Because there's lots of things that sound godly, but if you look at who Jesus is and how he lived his life, how he gave of himself, I mean, even think about the prosperity one, right? Jesus didn't have a home. (laughs) Just leave that there. But human traditions, you know, as we as we think about this, I'm not I'm not trying to make light of it, but not make light of it because human traditions are powerful. There's traditions that we can engage in here that are powerful that may not actually be helpful for helping us walk with Jesus. So we need to constantly be dismantling things that we build that are not of him, right? And they're influential. Have you ever heard somebody say uh, something like, that's just the way it is? You heard this? Right? That's just the way it is. You know, speaking of marriage, the old ball and chain, like, it's just how relationship is. Our relationship is, is brutal, but we survive. That's just the way it is. That's just how it is. That, that, that's just how business is. If you want to get ahead, this is just how it is. This is what you have to do. Man, I had a beautiful conversation with somebody, a business leader in our community a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this, because he's, he's recognizing, I actually want to live differently than the business world's telling me to live. I want to leverage my life for the kingdom. They're telling me this is how I get ahead, and I'm saying that's not who I am. So he's trying to figure out how do I live as a Jesus follower in the business world? It's not the way it is. But he's going upstream now, right? It's just the way it is in the Navy. It's just the way it is on deployment. Really? It's just the way it is? These are modern day examples. These are human traditions and ways of existing that we just kind of go, well, it's just the way it is. No, it's not. We're called to something different. We're called to live differently, and they're powerful. And to to live differently, it takes an incredible amount of courage. You're going to need a power that's bigger than yourself. Oh, yeah, you have it. God gives you his spirit to be able to live for him in places that are not for him. He gives you himself. The same power that resurrected him out of the grave is now living inside of you so that you can live like he lived. That is amazing news. It's not easy. Paul knew that. That's why he wrote the letter from prison. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He chose the way of Jesus and it put a target on his back and he was in prison for it. Right? When you choose to swim upstream... In a world that's going the other way, there's going to be resistance. You're going to feel the weight of it. But there's a power in you that's greater than the power that's in this world. You have the ability to say yes to the way of Jesus. Now you're going to need some people to do it with you, right? Come on, that's why we need each other. That's why we need community, encouragement. How is this possible to live this out? Paul, again, let's keep moving forward. He directs us back to our identity in Christ. Verse 9, watch this. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's awesome. To paraphrase, anything that held them back, and just translate it today, anything that holds you back, anything that would chain you or, or make you think it's impossible to live for Jesus. Maybe you think about your path. I've got too many mistakes. I've got too many things that are holding me. Uh, anything, the patterns of living, things that you think would disqualify you. All of those things Jesus dealt with on the cross. He nailed them to the cross. He, dis, he, he buried them in the grave through that action. And then he didn't stay there. He rose again, which is what gives you power to live for him and in him. Your new life now, it's, it's a life defined by grace and love and forgiveness. It's a life that's defined by the spirit of God empowering you to live for God. Have a new life. And this is an important message for Paul to get across to this young church because, again, the, the persuasive arguments were making people think maybe they didn't have everything they needed. Have you ever had that feeling, even walking into a church today, where you like walk in and you know Jesus, but like there's things that are happening, you're like, maybe I don't have it all. Maybe I need to learn more. Maybe I need to do more. Maybe I. It's the same type of thing. He, he is combating that. He is saying everything you need, you have in Christ. Everything you need is within you by his spirit that lives within you. You don't need to attain more, experience more, have these you know, revelatory moments that somehow set you on a pedestal. Those types of things create division in the church because there's haves and have-nots. Here's the gospel. You're all sinners. We're all sinners. <laughs> Saved by grace. Amen. That's the ground we live on. There's no, we're on the same ground. And God in his goodness poured out his love for us, set us free from the things that would bind us and hold us back, and gives us what we need to walk with him. Man, that's good news today. Continuing verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are all kind of rituals, routines that they were focusing on. Like, these are the things we have to do. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head 
from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Who's the head of the church? Yeah, it's okay to say that loud. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> and, and who do we need to elevate when external pressure pulls us in a bunch of different directions? Jesus. Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Get our attention on him. Paul says, when you believe that and you hold on to that, when you hold fast to the head, the one who is leading us, when you do that, the whole body, and he describes this elsewhere in Corinthians, the whole body actually functions together and is built up in love. When Jesus isn't the head, things get dismantled. It doesn't work. It doesn't work properly. Continuing in verse 20. If with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of this world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Next week, uh, Shannon's going to teach on chapter three, one of my favorite chapters in Colossians. No pressure, Shannon. Um, <laughs> but I want to notice something at the end of this chapter that really grabbed me as I was reading this this week. Um, because I think Paul gives us some insight on why they got so easily persuaded, why we get so easily persuaded into plausible arguments. I think he gives us a hint at the end of this chapter. He lists off a, a bunch of regulations, and rules. He talks about kind of Sabbath and these different, these different rituals and things that were being elevated. And he says that they appear wise, right? That seems right, but they have no value in what? Remember what it said? They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, So Paul, he's writing to a group of believers. These people know Jesus. But apparently they still had some issues in the flesh. They still had desires that they didn't know how to deal with. They didn't look like Jesus. And they wanted them to change, but they didn't know how. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> right? As we work out our faith in Christ, it's easy to view uh, our, our failures and our, our desires as things to figure out and fix versus things to confess and surrender. There's a difference. Paul, Paul is he's talking about the indulgence of the flesh. He's saying you have these indulgences of the flesh that you're trying to deal with by doing more, by engaging in activity. You're led astray because you're thinking that if I just do these things, then it's going to fix the heart. And, and Paul's saying, it's not working. And it's not going to. It's not going to work. It seems great, and you desire it because you want to see your heart change. But the extra activity is not what's going to rescue you and transform your heart. When I first moved to Washington in, in uh, 2006, I was 22 years old, and I was a mess. Like, just a mess. 
But you wouldn't know it because I grew up in a Christian community, so I knew how to play the game. But my heart was not with Jesus. It wasn't. And for me, I don't need to get into the details of what that was, but my heart was so amiss. And then I got plugged into a church and I started serving. And oh my gosh, it was like, this is it. This is awesome. And like, I'm, I'm a driver. I'm somebody who likes to like get, like, I'm going to go at it with everything that I got. And so I started, in fact, the first year, I think I was there, second year, I got a football that was signed by all the staff because I was like a volunteer of the year or something crazy like that. Like, good job, you served a lot. I was an awesome rule follower. I mean, I was the guy that you wanted in church. Like, we need more of that guy, because he just does stuff. (laughs) My heart never changed through that. Now, I think God works through all of those things. There's a reason I got plugged into the church, started serving it. It was transformative. But the external activity never addressed the heart issues. In fact, whew, in fact, I think that actually created a barrier because people assumed I was okay. When you do the right stuff, when you look the right way, People don't ask you questions about what's really going on. So how's your heart? Now for me, the thing that started changing my heart was I finally confessed what was going on in my heart, what I was actually struggling with in a community of faith that loved me, supported me, showed me grace, and taught me how to live differently. That's where transformation began to happen, not through external activity. Tracking with me? So, so this morning, for, for all of us, as we gather in Jesus' name, <laughs> what does it look like to bring our heart before the Lord? That's why we gather. That's why we, that's why we gather in groups, in small groups. We're, we're, we're praying that we would have the courage to say, this is where I'm at. This is the reality of my life right now. And I need Jesus. I think this is why Jesus says uh, the truth will set you free. I think it has layers of meaning. I think he's saying he is the truth, so he's like, I'm going to set you free. But I think he's also connecting to when you're connected to the truth about your story, about what's going on, the truth is actually where you're going to be set free. Not some fabrication. And this has been an ongoing struggle since the beginning of time, so you're... You're following a long list of, we're, 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 it's just a part of the human condition. If you walk through the Old Testament and New Testament, God has never stopped being interested in the heart. And man has never stopped being interested in external behavior. That has been the story of humanity. That's where we, that's our default. We go to trying to be kind of in charge of the story. And, and this is why Colossians is so helpful, not just in the first century, but for us today. And so if you're here this morning and you're feeling Maybe you walked in and you're feeling some of that weight of like, I don't know how to do it right or something. <laughs> Push that aside. Jesus is present this morning to say, I see you right where you are. Don't worry about all that, that weird stuff that you're stressed about. I just want to talk to you where you are. 
what you're thinking about, what you're processing, what you're struggling with. Don't get caught up in the plausible thing. Don't get caught up in all of these external things. Maybe, maybe you're on the other side of this and this text is convicting because maybe you've got a lot of plausible arguments you've been trying to use with friends and family members <laughs> and actually just sacrificially loving them is what they need, right? Sometimes we get so caught up in, you've got to do all of these things and then your life will be right. Jesus saves, not our activity. And he teaches us by his spirit. This is, this is the language of abiding. It's, it's walking shoulder to shoulder. Now we have the spirit within us, so it's walking in step with what the spirit of God is doing in our lives. And there's life there, and there's fruit there. And, and in that John 15 passage, he says, actually, apart from me, you can do good luck. <laughs> so we stay close to Jesus. We stay present to what he's speaking, what he's saying. Maybe, uh, maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. You've never accepted the gift of grace for you because you thought it was about getting some things lined up in your life for Jesus to accept you. And, and today, maybe the Lord is, is, is saying, hey, I got you. You can trust me. You can trust me with your life. I can, I can rescue you. I want to rescue you. I want to redeem you. So actually, we're going to close service. Um, worship team, you guys can come. We're going to close by celebrating some friends who've made a decision <laughs> to follow Jesus. Um, and our, our kiddos, if, if our kiddos are here, I don't know if Maybe they're here. We were going to have some of our kiddos come in and watch uh, the celebration because we want them to be a part of it. But um, baptism is this, this public declaration. Awesome. It's a, it's a public declaration of an inward change. It's, it's, it's saying to a community of faith, hey, I have said yes to Jesus. Now, you can do that in your heart. You could actually do that in this room, and no one would know about it. When you get into the tank, when you get into the waters of baptism, you're proclaiming before the community, I have decided to follow Jesus and surrender my life to him. And so those that are getting baptized, um, I'm just proud of, of the decision. As a community of faith, we're proud of the decision, and we're so for you in that. We're excited for what God is going to do in your life and through your life, what he's already been doing in your life and through your life. He loves you. And I pray as you come out of the water today that, that you would hear the heart of, of our Father say, these are my kids and I'm pleased. And that you'd be empowered by his spirit to live upstream, <laughs> to say I'm a Jesus follower first and foremost. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we just thank you. This morning, as a community of faith, we celebrate because of your goodness and your grace. You are so good to us. Work through us as we surrender our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.